take a really big gamble on yourself because now is the time you can do it where you can live for nothing. I moved out to Silicon Valley and everybody's like, oh my word, it's so expensive. Dude, I lived in the crappiest house out here. My rent was $420 a month and I lived off ramen noodles. My expenses, including my car, payments, and everything was under $700 a month. And that was not that long ago. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today, we got John Rampton, who is my friend and the CEO of Do.com, which is an easy way to send money, make mobile payments, and offers an easy way for your company to collect payments. John, how are you doing today? Uh, Doing very well. How are you doing? I am doing good. Thanks for being here. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, my name is John Rampton. I am a founder and CEO of Do.com. We're a payments platform. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a connector. I like helping people out. I blog a lot. So I write about my, uh, as I say, my uh, successes and my epic failures on uh, lots of different places online and uh, just trying to live the dream. I, uh, I'm married and have a baby girl. Awesome. Awesome. And I mean, you've been named as the number three, I believe, on a list of top 50 online influencers in the world. You know, how did that happen? You know, I got hit up by Entrepreneur Magazine. They were doing a thing of like influencers and they're just like, hey, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. I got interviewed for it and uh, I came out on the list. Great. And that's all it takes. I mean, how do they go about finding you in the first place? Why would they pick you? I think they just saw a lot of my work and a lot of my marketing online. I mean, I market myself a lot, especially through content. And then I network with a lot of people. I'm at a lot of conferences. I think it really comes back to I help a lot of people out. And lots of people know my name because of that. Great. And just to give the audience an idea, you know, I've seen a lot of your content being pushed out. I mean, how much content are you pumping out each week? How much of your stuff gets out there? So I would say on a major publication, I put out at least one to two pieces a day. One to two pieces a day. Wow. A day. Yep. Okay. So that's 14 a week? Correct. Wow. I would say confidently 10 a week. 10 a week. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of people in the past, they've done the posting on large publications and they say, Eric, you know, I don't see a return from this. We're not getting any leads from this, whatever it is exactly. But it sounds like you're playing the long game here and it's starting to provide returns for you. You know, I I would say it, it doesn't have to... Like my returns are human returns, not monetary returns. You know, obviously I get the monetary returns and I make great money and do well. But I would say more importantly, like I help a lot of people out. And the more people I can help out, the better it is for me. I mean, I have fans who, for example, one hit me up like four years ago and he was in college and he's like, you know, I don't know what to do, you know, help me out. And I guided him along the way and kind of was his coach over the years. I talked to him three or four times along the phone. Now he's a very, very high up at Twitter. And like, I mean, not that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, he's helped me do a lot. And that's helped me, you know, obviously leverage Twitter a lot more. 
But it's things like that that I've helped people along the way. And that's what people, I feel, should get out of writing and blogging if they're into that a lot more. Right. You know, the, the, the Zig Ziglar quote is, you know, help people get what they want and then uh, you'll get whatever you want in the, in the long run, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say going along with Zig, I find that the more influential I am and the more people trust me, if a person trusts you, they'll purchase anything and everything you put in front of them. So gain a person's trust and they'll, they'll purchase anything from you. True story. You're an influencer. You've built up this brand. I mean, what does your reach look like right now? So, I mean, my, my reach is in the millions every single month. I mean, my Twitter alone, I mean, I connect with about 30, maybe 40 million, you know, impressions every single month. My writing, you know, is in front of, I'd say, a million plus people every single month. But I mean, more importantly, like I'm helping a lot of people on my blog. I would say every single day, you know, from my writing, most people come in who really enjoy it, come back to my blog. And those that really enjoy that typically comment or life experiences or they ask me questions. And I probably get two to three emails a day from just that. And that's like very, very rewarding when a person's like, I found you on this. I'm, I'm struggling with this or I need help with this. Or, you know, what would your advice be on this? Makes sense. I'm going to come back to this in a second, but I do want to talk about do.com. So tell us a little bit about how it all came about. I was in the agency world, billing clients all across the world, and I had a very hard time, you know, getting paid by some of them or paying other people. And there were certain things, you know, I I used other solutions out there, for example, like FreshBooks and QuickBooks and a few other solutions out there. And I just didn't like some things that they did. So I went and built a solution that worked for me. And my clients seemed to like it. And they were always like, I want to use this. And we're like, hmm, maybe we have something. So then I saw do.com for sale. And I was like, you know, let's marry the two. Let's put our back-end solution together with that. We put it together and we launched it. Makes sense. Okay. When I think about listening to another podcast with you in it, uh, did you buy do and then start building it up? Or what happened there? We had another solution that we were using internally for our clients. And then we saw do.com, the domain, and we went and bought that. Got it. Okay. So can you, can you walk me through with a little more detail? I mean, you know, there's a lot of different solutions out there. You know, what really sets you guys apart? Yeah. So at do, you know, not to go into our company, I really want to blow through that and I'm here to help people out. But, uh, you know, we're, we're an invoicing solution. You can easily come and invoice your clients and get paid quickly. We want to make, for example, Wall Street Journal called us Venmo for business. Because we were very, very similar to Venmo. You can go on and send a person $20,000 like instantly. Huh. Or you can go on and invoice somebody and they can pay with a credit card. You're charged pretty much the lowest rates of any company out there. What and are the rates? 2.7% flat. No per transaction, no anything like that. 2.7% flat. Uh, a person pays you with a credit card. And it's deposited in your bank the next day, or they can pay you by e-cash and it's free. Wow, that's a fantastic way to describe it. You know, before we got on this call, I really didn't know what the difference was. Right when you said Venmo, I was like, okay, I get it. And now all of a sudden I'm I'm kind of getting sold on it already. Yeah. So we're we're trying to be Venmo for the modern world. Like mm-hmm. Venmo only works in the US. Any person outside the US has no clue what it is. You know, right now we operate in US, Canada, we're going to be in Australia. In uh, UK and in India, hopefully in the next six months, all of those. Right now, we're US and Canada, and you can literally a person sitting in San Francisco can pay a person in Toronto twenty thousand dollars, and it's there like instantly. 
Wow. Okay. Now, can you talk about some numbers around the business today? So we actually just barely launched that feature and credit cards. So I don't go too much into the Venmo type feature because that's kind of a little internal right now. But credit cards, we launched it seven days ago. That is very new, like the 2.7% flat fee and invoices. That was actually only launched eight days ago now. And we've done $1.6 million in transactions. Wow. That's in seven days? That's in seven days. Got it. With an average transaction of 340 bucks. Wow. Okay. And total customer base right now, where are you guys at? Right now, we're about 36,000 users. Wow. Okay. So the, the question now leading into this would be, how did you go about acquiring, let's just say, your first thousand? Our first thousand users, I actually went around to other invoicing companies, old ones. I went and typed online invoice, and I went to companies that were four on page four or five on Google and that hadn't updated their sites in five years. And I said, I'll buy your custom, I'll buy your website. <laughs> and I went and bought them. And I bought one person who had 5,000 users. I bought him for $800. And I bought another one for $2,000 that had like 2,500 active clients. So that's how we got our about first 15,000 clients. Wow. It was just acquiring companies for less than... I think the most we paid for one was like four thousand, five thousand. Nobody talks about buying other companies to acquire customers. I mean, in some cases, you're paying like sixteen cents per per customer, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I would say not dollars, cents. Wow. Okay. How did you come? I mean, how did you figure out this strategy? When did you start deciding? I mean, what kind of told you like I need to start buying companies right now? What 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 drove that? Well, it was is purely from the fact that I looked in. A lot of business owners in the past, I bought a lot of companies and mostly all for very, very small prices, a couple in the multi-million dollar range, but the majority of them for under like $20,000. And what happens with business owners and a lot of the, you know, listeners listening to this will find, will find this very true. But what happens is you're very excited about your idea. You go out there, you blast it out there, you get a couple of customers. But if the customers don't come, which they don't come, if you have a business and it takes off, you are a unicorn. Because the the majority of businesses out there, you have to work hard at for years and years and years before you really start seeing success. So there are a lot of people who aren't in it for the long term, and they'll go at it for a year and decide that it's not worth it. Or they'll run out of money, but they still keep the project alive, and then they're at a job or doing something else. Those are the companies that I look for because one, they're very great companies. They just, their, their founder has lost their passion. So I go and find companies like that in similar spaces and I go say, Hey, you know, I noticed you had this passion project. You've lost your way. I'd love to pick it up and continue your vision. Beautiful. Okay. So when you, when you start to integrate these customers and I mean, you know, what's the general, you know, reaction? Are they, are they happy? Do they, do you get a significant amount of churn? How does that look? So it was a, a large amount of churn. I would say about 25% of all the companies, maybe 30% of one. One of them actually knew their numbers going into it. Like, here's how many active. Oh, we're sending 15,000 invoices a month. Da, 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 da. They actually knew their numbers. Those were a little bit more active. The other ones, it was about 30% actually churned over to real customers, okay. real slash active customers. Yeah. I mean, when you're paying 16 cents for a customer, I mean, it's still, even with all the churn, I mean, yeah, it works out. Yeah, we're paying out. like 50 cents uh, for an active, real customer. Yeah. Okay. 
Great. What's working for you nowadays in terms of customer acquisition? So I'm, I'm all about content. That's the game that I know, uh, and that drives a lot of users back to us. Obviously, I put out amazing content. If I can have a piece, you know, have a million people go to it on a very large publication and a million people read that, there will be probably like 1% to 2% of those people will actually be like, I trust this guy, I want to see what he's doing, they'll come to my site, and I'll have 10% of those. So, I mean, if I have a really good piece, that can potentially drive back a lot of users. Uh, and then all, as well, we're putting out a lot of amazing content on our blog. And that's driving back very, very organic traffic. We're talking to what our users want and need. We're also putting together expert guides and then putting those guides out there and pimping those out to lots of other places. You know, we put together the most expert guide in the entire world and then go pitch people. Hey, we have this great guide. Would you link to it and talk about it? And most people realize that they're like, oh, it's John. He's not going to put out crap. And then they look at the guide and they're like, oh, that's actually a legitimate guide. Like, sure, we'll talk about it. And then they talk about it. It gets you higher in the search engines. You get more traffic and it's just a continuous cycle of lots of hard work. So I want to back up a second. The, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, producing a lot of great content and that, that's what people are saying nowadays. I mean, give us an example. What does an expert guide look like? You know, what goes into that? How much does it cost? All that. Yeah. So an expert guide for myself is a piece of content with a lot of stats and figures, surveys, pictures, and information. I typically like my guides to be around 5,000 to 10,000 words in length. So really a very long white paper. I don't call it that. I just call it a guide and I give it all away for free and I put it all up online. I've never done a, a wall where they have to put in an email or anything like that. I put it straight up online and it has stats, it has information, it has pictures and great meaty content and it explains everything you want to do. So for example, we have one that we put up on do. It's do.com slash freelancer, where we talk about what it's like to be a freelancer, how it works, what freelancers make, how to become a better freelancer, every, basically everything there is to be a freelancer. And we put that up about five months ago. We've linked to it a lot. Well, it's on page two for the term freelancer, which is pretty good. Right? It's a very, very competitive term. It's on page two. We hope to get that to page one someday. Right now it's page two. But that, that on average brings back about 200 people to our site every single day. And of those 200 people, we probably have hmm, about 20 of them sign up a day just from that one piece of content. Wow. Incredible. And how much did it cost for you to put this together? I'm staring at it right now. This is a 7,000 word guide. Yeah, that guide cost us, I bet that guide cost us $3,000. $3,000, which is, I mean, not, I mean, you're getting 20 free trials a day, right? So. Yeah, exactly. So that's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. My, my thing, uh, everyone from the, the audience definitely check out the episode I had with Neil Patel where he talks about spending $30,000 for a guide. And I would say for me, uh, and a lot of the small biz- business owners listening to this, $30,000 is a lot to totally a piece of content. So, and, and for us, it's a lot of money. 3000 is still a lot. Yeah. That's a person's salary for a month in a lot of places around the world. And sometimes, I mean, in some places that's a yearly salary for a person. So, you know, I would say start small, whatever you do, start, you know, put together the best piece of information 
it, it doesn't have to be the length of it. Like this is 7,000. I'm, I've seen some of Neil's and some of his are like 30,000 words. Yeah. They're very, very long. It, it's not about the length. It's about the content within them. And I believe truly, like if we spend another $20,000 on this guide, you know, going more along the lines of Neil Patel, this guy would really be worth 10 times more. But, I, but we had to start small and start where we were at. And I recommend that for all business owners. Start small, sm- start with what you can and get some use out of it. Don't create like a, an 800 per uh, word guide and expect that that's like big enough. I would say anything above four to 6,000 word, put that up and they're, they're worth gold. Yeah, totally agree. And see, I see you have a few other of the other of these guides uh, down here in the footer too. So I'll, I'll check those out later. We'll link to these in the show notes. What's one big struggle you faced while growing this business? In a business, you're going to fail over and over and over. And some some days you're not going to have success. And with do, for example, I, I would say like, oh, everybody looks at us as we're the most successful company out there. Like, oh, we're growing, we're growing hundreds of customers a day. But they don't look back and be like, what did John do before this? Like, he's had a lot of failures along the way. So, again, for for the listeners listening to this, like, I've failed countless times in my life and I am having success right now with this. But, But if you're having and struggling with my business isn't growing the way I want it to, like, know that you're not alone. Everybody's in that same thing. Even me, like, I'm having a lot of success and it's not it's not good enough for me. Something I always say to, you know, people that that I'm talking about is don't compare your chapter 1 to my chapter 20. I feel sometimes we we go out there and we're looking at other people who are very very successful yet they're in chapter 20 of their business and you're in chapter 1 or chapter 2. So stop comparing yourself to other and that's something I struggle with personally. And me, I'm in chapter of do, I'm in chapter one. And I'm looking at all these other companies that, you know, like PayPal. And I'm like, PayPal's in like, they're a very, very large competitor to us. And they're in chapter like 200. And I'm in chapter two. And I'm like, man, how am I ever going to get there? Stop comparing yourself to those. No matter where you're at, you're always going to like have that doubt. John, you're such a wise man. Thanks, so man. wise. Um, that, that's the thing, right? And I think this is sometimes pretty damning. It's the same thing with, with me, too. It's just like, no matter what you do, even if you start to, for me at least, even when the winds happen sometimes, it's just like, oh, that was supposed to happen, and you move on to the next thing. Do you yeah. feel that that's pretty damning sometimes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I do. A lot. Stop comparing yourselves to others. Compare yourself to you and be happy with your what you've got. Yeah, I was looking at a snap the other day from uh, Justin Khan from from Twitter or not Twitter, <laughs> Twitch, I should say. Uh, he's, yeah. he's got a funny Snapchat, and he's talking about how uh, basically you know ninety percent of the time you're failing. You know the stuff that you see out there, that's a ten percent of the s- success. Other than that, you know most of the time it's failure. So totally agree with what you're saying. I do want to switch gears really quick here. You know, it seems like you are a stud when it comes to buying great domain names. Um, you know, you I think you yeah. had uh, ppc.org, you got do. You know, how do you go about finding these great domains to buy? Oh, great domains. I spend a lot of time doing it. I bet I've spent a thousand plus hours looking at sites and domains. So like anything, the more time you put into it, the better you become at it. Uh, sites that I like, I really like Flippa. I feel Flippa.com is a really great place to find domains. 
Heritage Auctions is another one. Uh, they have different auctions. Uh, there's a couple of other really good sites to find good domains. Uh, be ready to jump on it. Be ready to plunk down some cash on it. Know what your budget is and know what things are worth. So it's just like car shopping. You need to know what you're looking for. You need to know like, oh, you know, I know nothing about cars and I need it to last a long time. You know, you should probably just go buy a brand new car because then there's no problems with it and you know it's going to last for a long time. Amen. But people can get really good deals on cars if they know what they're looking for. They're like, oh, it's three years old, but it has 3,000 miles and they pop under the hood and it's like sparkly clean and looks good and oil's good. Like They're like, oh, and it's for $10,000 under MSRP. Like You know it's a good deal. It's the same with domains. You got to know what you're looking for. You got to be able to pop the hood and be like, oh, be able to analyze a domain in 10 seconds and see if it's a good deal or not and what it would be worth. And that just takes a lot of time. So I've been able to acquire many, many good names. I've owned Bart.com. I've owned Organize.com, Crafting.com, Quilting.com, Buttercup.com, Buttercups.com, <laughs> and, and tons more. I mean, those are just the ones I've owned in the past two years. Okay. You know, and some of those are worth, you know, a lot of money. For example, do.com. I bought do.com and I had, uh, I bought it for $130,000, which you're like, oh my word, that's all, that's a ton of money. But literally 15 minutes after I bought it, a person emailed me or not emailed, they texted me, which was crazy that they found my information. They're a pretty good stalker. They texted me on my cell phone and said, hey, I fell asleep during the auction. I really wanted it. I'll give you $15,000 above what you paid for it. Wow. So I could have made $15,000 in 15 minutes. That's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. But then I had somebody offer me $150,000 more for it two months later. Like, So you have to know what you're looking for. And I always say it's a lot like the stock market. Like once you put that money in, Expect that it's just gone when you're investing. Because if you're investing in domains to resell them, know that that money could be just gone for a long time. Right. Because I invest in domains. For example, I own a very big portfolio of domains, millions of dollars in domains, but I'm holding them for the right buyer. So, for example, like buttercup.com. I own buttercup.com. It's a one word. I have the Twitter handle at buttercup. I own buttercups. You know, all these things. I purchased it for $30,000 or $35,000, which seems like a lot of money. But I've had a couple offers above that. But I'm waiting for the right buyer because I know that that domain to the right person is worth about $100 to $150. Just like do.com is worth probably about $800 to $1.2 million to the right buyer. When you bought do for $150, right, what were yep. you valuing it at? Was it around that range? I always value it at the price that I get it for. But I, I know that if I had to liquidate it, could, what could I get out of it? And if I was to sell that domain on the open market for, and put it up on an auction for 24 hours, if I couldn't get 75% of my money out of it that I put into it, I won't buy it ever. Mm, makes sense. So I kind of do that. And then I look at it long term as in the next 10 years, will somebody buy this? for three to five times what I paid for it. And if I can't be like, oh yeah, I could confidently say yes, I won't buy it. 
Got it. Makes sense. Look at all these lessons over here and jam packing it all into this, this 30 minutes. I got, I got a few more questions for you before you yeah. wrap up over Go here. Ahead. What's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25 year old self? One piece I would give to my 25 year old self, take more risks on myself. When I was younger, now 25 is actually only seven years ago for me. I'm 32. So it's not, not that long ago, but long enough where I can look back. Uh, I would say to my 20-year-old self slash my 25-year-old self, the same advice, take a lot more risks on myself. And whatever I want to do at the time, take the chance and do it. For example, money motivates me and drives me. And I've always been into the tech world. I would have told myself as a 25-year-old or a 20-year-old to move to Silicon Valley. And if you're in the financial world, move to New York. If you're a singer, and you want to become a, a rock star, like a country rock star, move to Nashville. If you want to become an actor, move to L.A. Take a really big gamble on yourself because now is the time you can do it where you can live for nothing. I moved out to Silicon Valley and everybody's like, oh, my word, it's so expensive. Dude, I lived in the crappiest house out here. My rent was $420 a month and I lived off ramen noodles. My expenses including my car, payments, and everything was under $700 a month. And that was not that long ago. Wow. How long ago was that? That was like mm, five years ago. Five years ago. Wow. And like I could still, the same house is still for rent and it's five fifty. That's crazy. What part of Silicon Valley? It's in East Palo Alto. So kind of not the not the greatest place in the whole world. And I'm not saying like, it was great for me. Like I could save money. I had a hundred and I was making a hundred plus thousand dollars a year. And I literally paid $800 or less every single month. I mean, I was just saving money, save, 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 save. And I would say like, always live far below your means, but there are cheap places you can live wherever you are. I mean, go to where the money is or to where that passion is or to where those people are that you feel you would be best with. I love it. John, what's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? I really love Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's been one of my favorites over time. I've always loved that book. So that would be definitely one I would, uh, I'd recommend to everybody. There's, there's a lot of other good ones. I really like Tony Robbins' Money Master. I love Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. But my, my number one all-time would be Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Love it. John, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? You know, I'm online uh, at John Rampton on Twitter or johnrampton.com. My website, I blog about some of my failures. You know, if you have questions or anything like that, or you need a little bit of help or advice, you know, go to my contact page and reach out to me. I try and respond to every email. If you're pitching me to write about your company or see how cool this is, I will not respond. But if you're asking me for true help, like I need your advice on this, I will try and respond to every person. All right, everybody. This is John Rampton. Make sure to check out his stuff. He is doing some incredible, incredible stuff. Thanks again, John. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.